0: Hello and welcome to Searching for Shinies, the football sticker Boot podcast. My name's Ketch, I'm joined by Richie Wyatt. Richie, another week, another 90s footballer found and interviewed, Neil Madison.
1: Yes, yes indeed, yeah. Um, former Borough player as well, I know you're sick of hearing it from Borough <laughs> players, but technically Mado is a Southampton player, so it doesn't count.
0: Yeah. Um, how's, your, how's your week been, Ketch? It's been okay, it's been okay. My internet's been a bit, you know, like a Steve Bruce side, very... Very uh, <laughs> low possession, low tempo, not a lot of creativity, mm-hmm. um, but oh, you know, dear. so could have been better. What about yourself? Um, yes,
1: mixed reviews. So there's some good news which I'll come to shortly. The bad news. So I had a go at building some garden furniture yesterday. Of Course, it's, you did. An, it's an L-shaped rattan sofa. We splashed out, and is
0: it snowing in East Grinstead? It, it you know, it was. It's not now,
1: <laughs> thankfully. It was. Um, but, but so I've built this bit of furniture With the L had to go a certain way round. I've got to the end. I'm thinking, oh, look at this. I felt like a god having built this bit of furniture. My hands are all ripped to shreds. I've literally bled for the cause. When I then place the, the sofa into the corner, I've built the L on the wrong side. Oh. So, so my one... back gate is blocked.
0: Oh, no one wants a blocked back gate. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's what I'm dealing with right now. However, in better news, my mum has once again delivered the goods and she's found the official Premier League annual from 1996.
0: Oh, wow. So I'm this interested.
1: this this book is as I say, it's official. Um, it came out after year 96, before the start of the season, and there is a piece in this book which I just think it would be worth me reading a little bit of, because it's by Jimmy Greaves, who, for those of you that don't know Jimmy Greaves, he's a, a legendary English footballer, he's an MBE, very, very, very good goal-scoring record for England, and of course all of his clubs, and he's done his piece, it's called It's a Money Old Game. Bit of a take <laughs> on funny old game there, catch, you like that? Jimmy, good one. Well, as you know, I'm a fan, I've said it once already on this episode. So I wonder if I'm reading this with some kind of lens on, but I get the impression he's not a big Borough fan. So oh. going to read a little bit and I'm going to pause for breath to hear your thoughts as we go, okay? Great. I played my first game for Chelsea in return for £8 a week. So you can imagine my delight at reading Gianluca Vialli would be doing the same in return for somewhere in the region of £30,000 a week. As for Fabrizio Ravinelli's £42 rand a week at Middlesbrough, I'm sure he's worth every penny. Although I would not try crossing the A1 at Scotch Corner with a shirt over your head if I was you, mate. Uh, that's, how he, that's how he starts. So, good advice. Yeah. Uh, I'm sensing that he's not very happy that he only got paid £8 a week. So
0: that's his first dig at, at Ravenelli in Middlesbrough. I think 8 quid a week was my paper round in 1996. Was it a tough paper round? Yeah, it was hot, hot. Early mornings and
1: it looks, it carrying looks
0: all like those it. journals and chronicles to the people of Whitley Bay it was difficult. But yeah, mm. crack on the greasy. It's yes. Good, this.
1: Yeah, so that's the first bit. Um, so the first bit is that I don't think he's a huge fan of Middlesbrough. Secondly, I don't know he's a big fan of foreign players coming over, and certainly not at the price they have, so I'll continue. As much as I'm looking forward to seeing the two dozen or more foreign stars who have newly arrived in our Premier League, I'm also looking forward to discovering how the different clubs, managers and chairmen react to their various successes and failures, particularly those of the strikers. Because, make no mistake, once you start paying players minor executive salaries for one week's work, the goalposts move dramatically. So, he's just just building out his case... I'm sensing he's getting more... Where are you going more, with this, Jimmy? I know, uh, he's getting more <laughs> annoyed. So, the next section is called Parade. For clubs like Middlesbrough and Chelsea, who have won the championship once between them, suddenly nothing less than the title itself will do. Believe me, Brian Robson did not go to his chairman and say, right, Steve, as in Steve Gibson, let's buy Ravenelli for £7.5 million, and pay him forty-two grand a week. I think we're in with an outside chance of winning the Coca-Cola Cup this year. Little did he know we'd get to both finals and get relegated. No, he went in there and laid out a plan where the purchase of Ravenelli, a couple of Scandinavians, and half of Brazil could result in an open top bus parade through Stockton on Tees, Yarm, and various other places where they never thought they'd see a bus, never mind a parade. (laughs) Jimmy, you can't be saying that about the good people of Teesside. As a reminder, this is the official Premier League annual. (laughs)
0: Yeah, he's slamming Middlesbrough. What is
1: his beef? So, he moves on to talk about West Ham a little bit here. I'm sure Harry Redknapp did not sell the idea of his United Nations squad to the board on the basis it would be fun for the fans to chant what a load of rubbish in eight languages. I mean, that's just unnecessary, isn't it, Jimmy?
0: Moving Do you think on. Jimmy voted Brexit?
1: <laughs> we don't do politics on this, come on. So, back to Borough. I'm still convinced there is more chance of success for Middlesbrough, with three Brazilians in the team rather than just Juninho in isolation as he was for much of last season. Alongside Branco and Emerson, he may now be able to bring some of his own own personality to the team. It's a bold experiment, great for the fans and I'm not going to knock it without giving Robson every opportunity for success which, considering the money spent means winning the title. Sorry, Pop. Now let me just clarify here. There is a footballer an old footballer known as Brian Pop Robson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Went on to become a legendary coach. He's referring to Captain Marvel as Pop Robson. It's the total wrong person.
0: Surely the sub-editor's got to check that for him. In the
1: official Premier League book. (laughs) What's going on here? So it's another dig. Another dig. I'm not going to read the next piece out. I've got one last bit I'm going to read. He goes on to talk about the signings that have been made by clubs pre and post-year 96. Um, And he gives... West Ham a load of credit for getting their business done before United Six when the prices were cheaper than after. And he slams Fergie for signing Oli Gunnar Solskjaer after the Euros when his money's gone up, praising Redknapp for signing Palo Futre before the Euros, before the prices have gone up. How they both fared uh, is an interesting comparison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That extra bit of scouting. Exactly. Oh, dear. Um, oh. Last bit. Moving on to Spurs, they also signed Espen Bardsen. although I might have confused that with somewhere I went skiing last January, in which case I recommend the Grand Hotel. The Greek striker Georgios Donis, who went to Blackburn, is meant to be useful. I can't say I've heard of the same about Nicholas Gudmundsson. Sunderland defender Darius Kubicki from Poland and Aston Villa's Fernando Nelson of Portugal have little on their side except mystery, which brings me to Leicester City. It must be said I know very little about Sweden's Pontus Karmark... That's the last time we'll mention his name on this podcast, by the way. Unless about Australia's Zielko Kalach. But I assure you, if you can stick them on a Scrabble board, they're worth about 147 apiece. Here's to a good season, or as they say in the West Ham dressing room, I'm sorry, could you repeat that in English? <laughs> Greavesy? So, Greavesy. I mean, he's not holding back there. <laughs> and to do it under the banner of, once again, the official the Premier-, Premier League... I mean, it's just...
0: They should be so, welcoming these players with open arms, lighting up the league. Agreed. I'd love any of those players to come on the podcast, by the way. Espen oh, Bardson, mm-hmm. Donis, some great names there. I don't
1: think barton has got a sticker catch, which we know is the rule. So... we we'll check that. We'll so check just that. to go back to my original question, am I reading that through tinted, rose-tinted burrow glasses there, or is he just digging people out unnecessarily?
0: It's just a, a really spicy opinion piece, which I don't think has <laughs> much place in the official Premier League <laughs> annual. When you think how clean-cut the Premier League try to portray themselves these days. Mm. That is uh, not what it was like in 96, as we've learned. Let's move on. How's the search going at your end? Any inroads? Well, for those that follow us on social media,
1: I went a bit berserk on Twitter this week or last week, um, approaching people. Um, I got a little nibble from Coventry's Liam Daish. He followed us. I've messaged him. He's gone quite since, but I'm not giving up on that one.
0: He's a bit lively, Daishy on the pitch and off the pitch he could be a interesting one
1: uh, yes I agree here's the big one though so I haven't told you this yet but um, there's a chap known around these parts as Big Tim who uh, mm-hmm. used to be my football manager and obviously he's listened to the podcast hi there Big Tim if you're listening and he said to me I've gotten in with a Premier League footballer I was like okay this is going to be good mm-hmm. Andre Kanchelskis no you're joking so I was like, "Wow, Tim, that is- get is in there." I went, "What's your?" He went, "He went I play darts with him." I was like, well, <laughs> "You play darts with him now?" He's like, well, no, I played darts with him back when he was in the Premier League. Okay, so twenty-five years ago. Yeah. Uh, when you say you play, how often? Well, I played in a pub against him once and I beat him. So okay, so on so on the grounds that he played Andrei Kanchelskis at darts once twenty-five years ago, he's going to approach him to become um, the latest guest. We're still on in touch after the darts game. Well, I'm guessing not. It's twenty five years ago at least. But he's gonna give oh. it a go. So shout out to Big Thank Tim. God. That's the kind of um, endeavour we want from our listeners and um I really hope it, it comes off. Has he still got his number? I don't think he ever had his number, but he's oh. he's gonna approach him via some means and say, I beat you at dance once, fancy this podcast and it's a better link than I've got to Kanchelskis, so you know, more power going to Going
0: out him. on a limb, I'm not confident we're gonna get Kanchelskis on the podcast, but appreciate the efforts.
1: N- never say never.
0: Yeah, the beauty of this is now that we're a few episodes old, we're starting to get people reaching out to us saying, I know this person, I know this person. And to cut a long story short, I was past Ian Hart's number last week, messaged him, leads an island legend, explained the concept and he was interested and he said, ring me this week. So I'm going to ring him this week.
1: Please do. Mm -hmm. I'd love to get him on. Absolute wand of a left foot. There you go. See, Great minds.
0: So he's yep. a he's a player agent now and I'm gonna ring him and invite him on the show and hopefully hopefully we'll get okay. an episode with him because the leads uh, yeah, leads fantastic. leads were big in the nineties.
1: They were. Should we talk about today's guest though?
0: Yeah. This one's you, isn't it? Madison. I think it
1: is. I'm, I'm just You've so Madison it? Madison obviously because I am um, connected with various different borough fans on, on Twitter, Madison does the commentary on Radio Tees. Um and mm-hmm. does a, a good job, let me add. And um, I'd actually already messaged him a couple of times, but he, he just blanked me. But then, big shout-out to Borough Fan Hazel on Twitter for the assist. She Hazel. has She's responded to one of our tweets saying, Maddo, are you in this? He's put on there, yes. And the rest, as they say, is history. He's agreed to come on. So great to have Maddo on board. And... Catch, even though it is another Borough link, there is some Newcastle stuff in there too. Would you like to touch on why that is?
0: Yes, he was Alan Shearer's best man when Shearer got married when they were, I think they were still teenagers at Southampton. (laughs) So when I discovered that on Wikipedia in our preparation for this episode, I let out a howl of delight Mm -hmm. and we asked him about it and, you know, he answered. So I think let's crack on and hear from Southampton's Neil Madison. Today we found a player who appeared on page 101 of the 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker book. Sticker number 422. He made 349 career appearances for five different clubs, played in the 1998 League Cup Final and played alongside some of the greatest players to grace the Premier League during the 90s. It's an honour to give a big shiny welcome to Southampton's Neil Madison. Mado, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks guys, you OK? Yeah,
0: it's great to have you on Mado. thanks very much for joining us. So Mado, you are in the book as a Southampton player there's uh, 16 stickers on the Southampton page, of which you're one. We were wondering, can you name the other 15 teammates on the page with you from the 96 97 season?
2: <laughs> <laughs> we can oh, dear, please. Right.
0: You're
2: Keeper, was it Bez? Dear Bez? Yes. Right. full back Dodgy? Correct. Franny Benali?
0: He's there.
2: Uh, right, let me have a little look now. Come on Cal
0: He's there too.
2: Right. Jimmy Jilton? Yeah, that's five. Doing well. Let me have a think now. Ian Dowie? No. Not as a sticker. No. Ships? Neil Shipley? Was he yes. on there? Yeah, Ships. Ronnie Eklund? Is Ronnie on there or not? Is that like a little bit later?
0: A bit later for him?
2: Yeah, Ronnie. Uh, oh, God. Jeff Kenner? Jeff must be on there.
0: No. Jeff isn't. Not everyone had stickers. Only 16 were bestowed with the honour of having a sticker. So... See, I
2: think he's a blackburn, isn't he?
0: Oh, that could be true.
2: Anyway, go on. I, I, I'm stuck now. You're going to have You've to look. It. A lot.
0: We'll give you some clues. There's, there's some real tricky ones. There's a defender from the northeast with fantastic hair and awful suits.
2: <laughs> from the northeast. Tommy Wid?
1: No. Okay. Signed from Galatasaray a, a year or so before.
2: From the northeast? Yeah. Ish, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. A, a, a glorious Barnet. Like, absolute 90s Barnet.
0: Sunderland, Liverpool, Newcastle. Go on. Uh, Venice. Barry Venison.
2: Oh, Venice. Oh, Venice. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I went in in his house once, you know, and he lived lived in a posh part of Southampton and he had a room just full of leopard skin. It was all, honestly, it was all leopard stuff. Like, you know, when I went in his room, everything was leopard. I can Uh, totally imagine it. Yeah, yeah, honestly. Absolutely, class.
1: Maddo, that's that is the podcast in a nutshell, right there. That's what we want. Is that? A... <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm, honestly, a full group of just leopard skin all over.
0: <laughs> you've actually missed a you've missed a player, uh, a forward from Middlesbrough who was at Arsenal prior to Southampton. Perry Gross. No, he actually left in the
1: season we're talking about as well. So he only would have played a season and a half. Ooh, nah. Go on, I'm stuck. Neil Heaney. Oh, Neil, oh, yeah. But
2: Neil's some up here as well. He's in yeah. as well, huh? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, Neil. You're missing, <laughs> and you're going to be embarrassed that you've missed him, the main man. The main man, yeah. Tiz? Yeah.
2: Ah, yeah. oh, well, he, <laughs> I, just, I just don't talk, because he, he is the main man, isn't he? So.
1: Okay, let's, let's put you out your misery by listing the final ones. So, uh, Alan Nielsen. Al,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Richard Dryden. Trigger. Uh,
2: oh, I right. think you
1: mentioned Jimmy Jilton. Robbie Slater.
2: Robbie, wow.
1: And Matt Oakley.
2: Matty, yeah. Uh, still speaking of you as well.
1: Francis Benali's down as a forward. I could have sworn he was a defender.
2: He, he used to be. Yeah, he used to be. He used to be a centre forward when he was in the uh schoolboy days, number nine, centre forward, madman up front. But then uh he got drafted in as, as a left back and still mm. a madman at left back, but the uh, <laughs> but the friendliest yeah. guy, yeah, friendliest friendliest man in football, funny. Yeah, yeah. Off the pitch. Um,
1: Obviously, you're from Darlington originally. Can can you talk us through how you've ended up as a, as a presumably on some kind of schoolboy apprentice forms at Southampton?
2: Well, they had a good scouting system in the northeast. Really good scouting system. Lots of scouts up here, and then obviously, I had, a, I had a, actually chance to go to the northeast clubs: Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough. But I just felt Southampton was the right place to go, even though it was nearly 300 odd miles away. It was just right for me. Felt really good. Got well, gone on well with the rest of the lads that were up here in the northeast as well. So build build relationships with them, and um, yeah, it just it was the right decision and the correct decision for me.
0: Because the interesting thing about that massive journey from the northeast on your first days as apprentices, that you, you weren't alone, and you were joined on the train by someone else who did all right in the Premier League, Mister Shearer.
2: Yeah, God, well, it was you know what, it was that first season when we'd gone down south. Obviously, we get we got put into our digs. And I was with another family at first. I didn't really, I didn't really like it. And then um I went to see Dave Merritton, the coach, and I just said to him, Listen, Dave, you know, I'm not happy. He just said, Well, I'm all, I was always around Shearer's. They live downhill lane right next to the Dell. And I just went, you know, I'm always around there. And he said, Well, do you want to go and live there? with they take you? And I said, Yeah, they've already said that. So I got my stuff, packed all my stuff and went without saying anything to the family. <laughs> yeah. oh, wow. yeah, I did, yeah. I mean, Dave, Dave told me too. He said, I'll sort it all out, whatever you. So Dave sorted it all out. So I packed all my stuff, went in with share, and that was it. Uh We were good friends anyway. But uh yeah, we, that first six months or first four or five months before Christmas, we went, we went home for Christmas and it was tough because you miss your family. Mm. You know, you miss your roots, where you, where, you know, your, my family, my, my brother my two brothers and all my mates and then the first time we came home it was tough and I can remember ringing Alan up and saying listen I'll see you at the train station he said I'm not coming back and I said "Al, you've got to get on the train you know you'll you'll regret it for the rest of your life and he eventually got on the train he's I could see you being crying I was crying because I didn't want to go and I wanted there but we got on the train and obviously the best decision we ever made
0: That's an amazing sliding doors moment you've talked yeah. Shearer back from not going on to pursue his career in football <laughs> 260 goals later
2: yeah i mean you know when you that first and i actually say because i work for the Middlesbrough football club now and i'm i'm sort of player care manager as well and i actually know how hard it is some players that are not from the area that are living in digs that are living with family so i'm i'm probably best known what they like and what they want and and, and how to approach it and it is tough we've got some lads from london you know, and I knew that first Christmas going back, it's going to be tough. You have to get back on that train because you'll regret it for the rest of your life. And they they have done, you know, but it's, it is tough that first six months when you're down and you're, you're adjusting to a new life. You've been at home for 16 years and you, your mates, you've got all your mates and that, but you're building your relationships down south with, you, with your new mates. And, uh, yeah, that, that was a real tough day, I must admit, for, for both of us, but... Um, Gladly we both got on that train and, yeah, we've, you know,
0: history speaks to itself, well, especially for Alan's. Yeah, Mado as a Newcastle fan, can I thank you for talking Alan <laughs> to into pursuing his football career?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> as a Borough fan, can I say no thanks? <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple more on Alan, because he's on the front of this book, the, the 97 book. He was the £15 million player that season. What was he like as a teenager? Did you have any inclination that he would go on to, to do what he did?
2: He was always a good player, don't get me wrong. I mean, he never really had a left foot. Dave Merritt, you see, your left foot's still standing on. But, you know, when you've got a right foot like yours, who cares? You know, I can remember one season, I think he rifled in, in our youth, youth team league, I think something like 70-odd goals. You know, in that season, he was just phenomenal. He was ridiculously good. I can remember the, the game when he scored his hat-trick against Arsenal. You know, we were playing away to Brentford. We were in the youth team, and he had made his debut against Arsenal. And we we're coming back on the minibus, and the radio was on, and the first team games on, and we we're listening to it. And he gets his goals, and then I can remember getting back, and then me pulling in, and he's on the in the front room with this ball because he's got a hat trick. Sat on reporters outside. Sat on the on the couch with the ball that he's on his knee and <laughs> I just went well done mate like you know and that was it but the, the, the next few days was manic like there was a few people knocking and wanting interviews and what have you but to be fair to him he just kept himself to himself
0: and at that stage you're sharing a bedroom with him in a house parent's home
2: yeah the same we, we actually had the same bedroom so <laughs> we did we, we, we lived we, we lived out of each other's pockets. He had a bed in the far corner and I had a bed right near the door. So that's the reason why the dig said, listen, you can join because he's got two beds in his room and he was like quite happy, you know. So, yeah, so we we, we lived in that, I think, in that room for about four or five years. Even when we signed professional contracts, we still, we still stayed at the house for a few years and uh, lived there because the digs we lived in were... Ah, oh, they were superb. I still see them now. Yeah, I still speak to my digs now.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll press on into your, into your early career then. You actually had quite a tough Geordie manager during your time. Dave Merrington sounded like a, an
2: interesting guy. Ah, oh, Dave was just what we needed. You know, I, I say now, Dave wasn't only a coach, he was a, a mentor. He just told you the rights and wrongs. He was very religious. I like I remember, we went to Germany and uh, we played in a big tournament in Germany. A lot of a lot of the big teams around the world were there, and we won this tournament in Germany. And uh, I can remember Dave ecstatic, but then right, he was like, heads down, and he he said a prayer. You know, and the lads are looking up, like we you know looking at each other. But that was Dave. He was it was um, it was what he was all about. But uh, he was as tough as nails. and I mean, tough as nails. It was. He learned so many things. We, I used to be the what they call a the boss man. So the boss man was in charge of all the lads. We had certain jobs to do. So be, we might be split into three groups. One group would have the away change room. One group would have the home changing room. The other group maybe had the corridors and the, and the gymnasium and everything had to be absolutely spot on. And I mean, cleaned like you wouldn't believe. And if he found anything, he used to run his fingers across the, the door. And if there was a speck of dust on his fingers, every single player, not the people that were cleaning it, every player would be down on the track around the Dell and he'd give us this thing called a crash. It was four, three, two, one. So four laps around the pitch in four minutes 40, three laps in three minutes 30, two laps in 220, and one lap in 60 seconds. And he it basically taught us to don't look up. Do you know what I mean? Don't don't, don't muck up. Make sure you're, you're spot on with all your jobs. And if you are, you're spot on on the pitch. You know, that's what he was trying to get through to us. I mean, there was a few people mucked up, but when I was a boss man, I had to go around, check everything. And then we'd have someone else check it and then someone else would check it because we just didn't want to run. You know, you do everything right here. You take it onto your pitch and take it onto, into your life as well. So he was—he was just what we needed. He was a great. Some people very wrong didn't like that way, but for me, it was exactly what I needed. It was—he was a great, great coach and a great manager.
1: So you started there as a trainee in nineteen eighty four, turned pro in nineteen eighty eight, playing about one hundred and sixty nine games, scoring nineteen goals. From I believe centre midfield, although you to me you're more—you're quite a bit of a utility man. Uh, would that be fair to say?
2: I think I played every position on the football pitch. That's why that's why I signed for Middlesbrough because they had an injury crisis and in, in ninety seven and we played Middlesbrough. I think four or five months beforehand, I actually played sweeper against and we beat them four 0 Ravenelli and Giannino were up front. I got man of the match. Soon as was soon as was manager, he actually made me captain at Southampton at a t- uh, for a period of time. So yeah, I, I, I'd play anywhere to get on the pitch. To be honest with you. But, yeah, predominantly, I would say a midfielder.
0: I was interested to know that your debut came away at Wimbledon, at the old Plough Lane, which doesn't get more of a brutal introduction into professional football. And you, you got on the score sheet.
2: Yeah, it was a, it was an eye-opener, let me tell you, because uh, you're, you're going to Plough Lane and it is a, it's a tough place. You know, you've got Dennis White, John Fashionew, Vinnie Jones, the that you're going to be competing against and I can remember coming out of the, um, I was playing alongside Jimmy Case in midfield and I can remember coming out of the uh, room and we're lining up and Vinnie Jones is next to me just looks at me and he said uh, you're the newbie he said well I'm going to break I'm going to break your effing legs today really? and that's what he said me, yeah that's what he said to me and I thought well Jimmy just looked and he said I, 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 I was quite mentally tough so I was prepared for anything you know and you know, and 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 to get that goal, one of my one of my strengths was obviously uh, heading the ball. And I remember Rod Wallace had got it on the left-hand side, and I just followed him as a midfielder. And he put a ball in the box. I arrived, and yeah, I put it in from about ten yards, I think, and landed into the bottom corner. So could come catch me. My mum and dad were there for my debut, so it was a it was a tough introduction to football. But you are scoring your debut, you know, it's. And then I scored on my home debut as well against okay, Forrest the next year, so that was something special as well.
0: When we think of Southampton in the nineteen nineties, the Dell is kind of embedded in our psyche. It was almost like a Victorian ground. Even in the nineties, it was you know very small and basic. On television, it looked you know quite parochial. What was it like behind the scenes? You know, was the dressing rooms tiny, narrow corridors? That's how I'd imagine it. But but you tell us. Ah,
2: oh, yeah, absolutely real narrow corridors i can remember the changing room you'd walk you'd walk down that into the changing down into the steps physio was on the left hand side you'd walk down a couple more steps and there's the changing room you come out of the changing room a quick right there'll be a door in front of you that'll be the weight room and then you'll turn left and it was a long corridor the steps to go down the dell. and opposite the steps outside the steps were the weight changing room so they'd just come out the door and walk straight down the steps. But you'd have two teams coming down the steps together. We'd be on the right side, they will be on the left-hand side. And uh, that's what it was. Both teams came out together. But uh, very old-fashioned. They had a gymnasium at the top that we used to go and warm-up in. You know, quick warm-up stretching, blasting balls around.
1: With, with there being tight corridors, you must have seen some tension with, between opposition players when you are snuggled in that close together, waiting to go out.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I'll tell you a story. Not many people know this. We played Nottingham Forest. I can remember going down the steps. Nottingham Forest had gone down. Brian Clough was the manager, and I can remember going down the steps. And Shea has gone down the steps, and Brian Clough's gone behind him, and he's tapped Alan's heels, and Alan's sort of gone down about three or four flights of stairs, (laughs) tumbled at the bottom. Seriously, this before the game. He's on the floor and. Yeah, and on the floor, and Cluffy walks past him and just, like, gives him a little wink and walks past him. I mean, is raging. <laughs> Absolutely raging. And he just walks He walks down the path and he's in the dugout and that is it. And this is no word of a lie. So, obviously, it's gone and the game's gone on and that's it. I'd say about three years later, we've got Forrest at the Dell. Maybe it's two years, Cluffy's manager and the teams have gone out And Al waited at the bottom of the corridor. He waited for him to come out of the room and waited for him to go down the stairs. And as he comes out of the room, Cluffy comes out of his room, starts to walk down the stairs, Sharon runs up the corridor, gets down the stairs, clips his heel, and Cluffy goes flying down the stairs. No! (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. And then he walks past him and just gives him a little... And that was it. And I remember him doing it. Oh, Alan,
0: tripping up elderly men.
2: (laughs) But it was just back Brilliant. in the day. Back in the days, it was like that because on the pitch, there was no cameras. There was there was nothing. You know, there was. Um, I can remember getting punched right in the face from a corner. From I'm trying to think the Wimbledon player. Uh, God, it was at the Dell. God, trying to think his name. Anyway, he's absolutely punched me because I'm buzzing around and trying to get away from him, and the corner's coming in, and he's just and I just see Dicky Buzz you know, he's caught us on the chin flush and I've gone down and referee doesn't see it, no cameras there sort of thing and, you know, you got away with it. And then I can remember about a year later we play the same team and because there's no cameras I went down the back of his calf with me studs and, and I just said, you know, and he's raging. Absolutely raging and uh, you just, that's how it was dealt with. In them days, it was it was stuck in your mind. And if anything went on, you see all the, the scraps and you see all the tackles that are flying in. I can imagine them being, I'm going to get you in this game. And that's the way it was. There was no cameras. There was nothing. And yeah, you, the, what went on in the pitch? I mean, me. <laughs> it, it was crazy. But I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change the world. I loved it.
1: Mm. Was there any aftermath to uh, Shearer tripping? Cluffy.
2: No, I, I, I actually think Cluffy got up and just remembered it and thought, you know what? Fair enough. Fair play to you. Yeah, yeah. Fair play to you. Like, So Good I got on the pitch and that's it. And, and, Good and on won. you, young man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that, that's where, I mean, Alan was quite strong-minded, you know. You know he, he was pretty strong-minded and yeah, you know, he knew what he wanted to be and he knew what he wanted to do and, and that was it. But I just think you, you, some sometimes it sticks in your memory and, you know, you never forget certain things and and, and that's the way it was at times, you know, mm. in them days. Mm. You got away with a lot of things and purely because there was no cameras and, and the referee, if you never seen it, you wouldn't get carded, you wouldn't get a red card. Now you can't do anything.
1: Moving into... The season that we're focusing on, 96-97, obviously we've got the Merlin book for that year. And would um, will it be right in saying that that's Graeme Souness joined the club at that point as manager?
2: Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I had a bit of an argument with Laurie McMenemy that year because uh, Laurie came to me and said, listen, we're going to offer you a one-year deal because my contract was up, but we're going to only offer you, I think it was a £50 rise. And I went, Nah, I don't. I just, I wasn't having it, you know, and I was disappointed. So I actually left and I actually signed for Crystal Palace, believe it or not. So I went to see Ron Nodes and that was a strange encounter because uh, Ron Nodes was a real character, Crystal Palace. Steve Cottle was the was the manager. And uh, I went to see Ron and I went in the chain room and he actually had his feet as I walked in on the desk like that. So his feet are on the desk like that. And so you see, he had his hand on the table and he had this uh, letter opener, sharp letter opener. And he was looking at me, come in, Neil, sit down, and he's looking at me and he's going <laughs> through his fingers. So his fingers like that. And, he, and, he's got, and as I talk and he's doing that, I'm going, what is he not doing here? You know, I'm just looking at him. And I can, this noise going bang, 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 bang. And he's got this letter opener and he's just going through his fingers, you know, and I'm thinking... Anyway, Neil, he said, uh, you know, we agreed. We, we agreed. It was a three-year deal. I signed the contract. But it was all all to do with, a, we went to an c- unconditional tribunal. So what happened was Southampton went, said their case. I went, said my case. And Crystal Palace went and said their case. You know, I think Crystal Palace had said, if it goes over 500 grand, uh, we won't be able to do his deal. So I said, okay. So we went to the tribunal. It came to 300 and some grand. Deal was done. I said, brilliant. So I was driving on back down to Southampton, and then I got a phone call of Steve Copple and she said, "Listen, uh, the chairman's rang me. Uh, something's coupled up. We can't do it." And I went, "Right, okay." So I went back to Southampton, and I seen Laurie, and I said, "Laurie, I'll sign that one-year deal." Okay. So I signed the deal, and they the the, the, the lads had been on tour; they'd been away. So you know, soon I went to see Sooners and he said, "Listen, come in. Just get your head down and work hard." So I did, and I worked hard, and I was in and around the squad, and then we actually played Middlesbrough, believe it or not. We played the game I was talking about. We played Middlesbrough, and on the Friday, Middlesbrough played with three at the back, and we actually played with three at the back. And he said to me, uh, Mara, go play sweeper for the reserves. So I was actually like, as if I was a Middlesbrough player. Can you go Can you go play sweeper? I said, yeah, I'll go play. So Eggledockton's dad was the centre forward for Southampton, and every ball up to him I was good in the air that was my strength so I was winning everything in the air I was decent on the floor and then soon as came up to me after we had a little 20 minute game and they did their set pieces and what we what Middlesbrough were going to do so I was part of the Middlesbrough sort of set up but I was playing for the reserves and that and then uh, he called me and said have you played there before and I said I'm a midfielder I said I, said, I think I you know you should be up if you're a midfielder, you should be able to play anywhere at the back. They said, Yeah, I feel comfortable, I'm okay. He said, All right, okay. So, anyway, came in and Ken was ill. So, he went bang, bang, mad you're playing in the middle. Once one four nil got man of the match, and uh, I can remember in the game Janino was playing now, Janino was an absolute idol up here for Middlesbrough, and I can remember in the first minute it was. He had a ball on the left-hand side, and as that ball's travelling, I'm travelling towards him, and I just catch the ball, but I also catch him. He topples up over me. The ball goes out, and the fans just erupted, and the just the whole ground just erupted because it was a good tackle. not really wrong, but that just got a set off, and the players were right on it, and we were right on. It. There was no way we were losing that game. One four 0 Soon as actually made me captain that year, and then. The contract was up at the end of the year. So I went to see Graham and I said, uh, I had a good relationship with him. And I said, Gaffer, I said, listen, I'm out of contract. Certainly like to stay. I had a, I had a couple of clubs snipping after me because I had a good season. And he went to me, uh, What do you want? And I went, What? He said, What do you want? So what do you mean? What do I want? He said, Well, tell us what you want. Tell us the money and what have you. And he said, I'll tell you. So I come up with some figures. I haven't got a clue why, but I just went. I want this. I want that. It was quite basic back then because you had a signed on fee, a basic wage, and that was it, and maybe a payments money. So I went. I want this. I want that. I want that. And he went. All right then, go see Laurie and sign it. And I was like, oh god, I wish I'd like you know, said a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> but I was I was happy. I signed a yeah, I signed a four year deal. Graham left at the end of the season, mm. and Dave Jones came in. Played under Dave and then I got a phone call and said, listen, Middlesbrough, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to sign you. You know, you can go or you can stay. You know, I'm quite happy if you go and speak to them. But Brian Robson was one of my idols. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, "Ah, I've got to go. I've got to have a go at this. And I did. I was in his room 10 minutes and the deal was done.
0: Graham Souness, you got on and he did a good deal for you. It's very rare for a player not to have a Souness in training story. I assume he joined in with you. Any incidents that you can remember whereby perhaps someone went in late or he went in late on someone?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, him and Dave Besant, never seen eye to eye. I can remember on a Friday, he used to join in with the five of sides. And him and Bez, you know, to be fair, I'm, I'm good friends with Bez as well, by the way. He's a great lad and they used to go into tackles, 50-50s, I'm looking at you, oh my word, I mean, because Bez used to play out as well, so he'd have a little five-a-side, no keepers, and he used to play out, I mean, they absolutely smashed each other, and I mean it, the tackles have gone in, and to be fair, Suarez loved that, you know, he was a toughen, you know, I think he just had his heart bypass as well, but he just, you know, <laughs> he, he would proper, seriously, he would us go in as well and, and get weighed in, but... Yeah, them two didn't see either way, but uh, yeah, it was quite feisty on a Friday. You are supposed to just have a nice little fiveo, but some of the tackles that were flying in. Well, Suey, so to be fair to Graham, he he wanted to win. He was a winner, and it didn't matter. It was a Friday. If he won, if he didn't win, he was absolutely gutted, and he was he was a sore loser. But when he won, he was chirpy and whatever you. you know. He, he loved to win his five sides, and even although on the Friday, a day before the game, I mean, he he put his foot in a few times.
1: You mentioned Dave Besson there. Obviously, he had previously been a member of of the crazy gang at Wimbledon. Was there any kind of dressing room antics and crazy gang-like behaviour going on in your dressing room, surely?
2: There always is. You know, there always is. I think, um, I can't tell them guys. (laughs) (laughs) Because... I mean, some of them are just ridiculous. But, uh, like I said before, we had such a close group. We grew up together. And even the guys that came in from other clubs the likes of Glenn Cockrell you know Glenn's still a good friend uh, Mickey, Had- Mickey Adams uh, Bears Day Besant you know we, st- we still keep in touch we still sp- speak to each other Yeah, I, I think it's the one club I would say that I've been to and, and although my association with Middlesbrough is, Middlesbrough is really good as well but I, I would say my 12 years at Southampton were just incredible
1: Right, that's half time with Maddo. Um, and just to throw back to the start of the show, if you enjoyed the piece on Jimmy Greaves, uh, we've uploaded the whole article onto our Twitter page where catch, I believe there's something else going.
0: Yes, I've said something fantastic away on our Twitter account, which is at the shiny pod. Our follower numbers are modest, to say the least, so please follow us. And if you're listening to this show, I think there's going to be something of interest pinned to the top of our timeline. It's a fantastic competition that we've done. In partnership with our fantastic sponsors, Tops, who we really appreciate the support, helping us uh, pay for Joel to produce the show. Uh, <laughs> they've provided us with some merch, right? So here we go. I've put together a little sticker book bundle that we're going to give away to someone. So here's the prize, right? You get an official UEFA Champions League sticker book and fifty packets of stickers, right? Mm. There's ten stickers per pack, so do the maths. There's five hundred stickers. So, I Too mean, many. remember when you used to go to the newsagents and the stickers would be on the counter in that little box, we've got a whole unopened box of those stickers to give away with the official Champions League sticker book. So if you've got a young relative or um, some offspring and you want to get them into football sticker collecting, this is the competition for you. But not only do we have the 2020 sticker book collection from Tops, we have an official 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker book signed by Ryan Giggs, half full. That is part of the sticker book as well. So if you like nineties football, if you like sticker books, you need to get into this. So what you need to do is go onto our Twitter account at the Shiny Pod, check out the pinned tweet at the top of the profile, retweet that and follow us and you could be in with a chance of winning. Do we have
1: to give all fifty packs away?
0: Yeah. We do.
1: We don't know, do it's we?
0: Because it's, you know, late in the season you can just blast all the you know, blast all the stickers all at once. Fantastic. It's really good. I wanna make the prize really good. Sign Giggsy Sticker book is legit as well. That's signed by Ryan Giggs. Half filled. It's a little bit battered, but I think that adds to it. That makes it feel a bit realer. So enjoy it. Come check out the picture. I've made a little nice little picture on Twitter at the top of our profile. I've put a few of my 1990s football shirts in the background. Um, <laughs> give it a retweet. Give us a follow. You could win it.
1: Good luck. Now let's get back to Madison. The time in, in Premier League football uh, around this sort of 96, 97 era. one of the reasons I was keen to cover this particular book is that there seemed to be a much larger invasion of, of foreign footballers joining the league. And that season you had Lundqvam, Van Gobel, um, Oschenstadt, I think Berkowicz as well, all joined around the same kind of time. You've already talked about the dressing room. What was it like having a group of guys who weren't British coming in and having to get used to the British humour?
2: Yeah, the, uh, you know, it was tough for them at first, but... Uh, you yeah. know. They fitted him well. They fitted him well with the group. Eyal was, uh, Bercovich was, uh, he could be temperamental. You know, he could be moody at times. I can remember the lads taking the mick out of him a few times when he did, and that's where we did it. But in the end, he grew to be okay with the lads. Klaus was just, Klaus, he, he got on really well with the boys, and I think he obviously had a, a great career down at Southampton as well. But um, yeah, Klaus was a top guy, really top guy. I can remember Graham, soon as Graham used to love a holiday. So, International Week, whenever everyone went away, we'd go away. And I can remember um, him pulling me in one time. I was captain at the time. And he said to me, Right, we've got a chance to go to Israel. So, E.L. Berkovich had said, Listen, we can go to Israel. I've got a deal, blah, 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 play a game. And then uh, a little bit of free time as well. So do you fancy it? And I said, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. He said, but everyone has to go. He said, so the lads, the Scandinavian boys, they can't go home. They have to come with us. So they all thought they were going home. And we said, I went in and said, listen, lads, we've got a chance to go away. Do you fancy going? All of them right up for it. I mean, Israel, we went to Walat in Israel. Walat was one of the a lovely resorts. In Israel, it was red hot. You know, the hotel, fantastic. But the the uh, Scandinavian guys wanted to go home. But the lads weren't having it. You're coming. And in the end, <laughs> you know, we, we want to away And then and Kassunis wouldn't stay with us. He'd leave his coaching staff with us. He'd go away with his wife and family in another hotel. And we wouldn't even see him. And yeah. we'd be in our hotel. And that was it, like, you know. so But, yeah, the lads came away. And I think also, as well, it helped them get used to us and what it was about and... You know, it was it 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 was good, it was team bonding really and, and getting to know each other, you know. So yeah, the uh, the times with the uh, the tours, mind you, you wouldn't get away with it now because there's mobile phones and there's yeah. you know the internet and what have you. I mean, we were so lucky that we never had that because if we mm. if we did have it, I mean, we'd, we'd let the lads go on because we wouldn't be going abroad. Because mm. we got away with murder.
0: Yeah one of the last generation of football teams to be able to just, you know, nick off in the middle of the season and get a bit of sun on your back.
2: That was lovely. Really nice.
0: When when you do sign players from overseas, obviously you can,
1: as a player, presumably you can never guarantee they're going to be quality. I think it's this season that you signed Ali
0: Dyer. (laughs) It's a folklore story, this.
2: Yeah, I, I can remember him playing. We played on a Friday. So what happened was we had a, like I said before, the middle of the field, reserves be the first team, so we're playing this game, and he played for the reserves, and he was lightning quick. By the way, he was quick, and he got onto a couple of balls in the game and did okay. And so, sort of went. I tell you what, he's not bad. Him, you know, he just come in. He's not bad. He's quick and what have you. So, anyway, we we've come for the game, and we're all. I don't know who we we're playing. Actually,
0: we should say that. For anyone who doesn't know, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you should know, but Ali Dai was signed on the premise that he was George Ware's cousin and an, an unnamed agent persuaded Sunes to take him on trial. And he arrived at the club and he's had one training session with you. And Sunes has decided, that's, that's enough for me. In he goes. It was it was Leeds. It was Leeds at home.
2: Yeah, I think it was sober. And I think, I'm not sure who came. It might have been... Was it Tiz the key? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's Tiz, yeah. Tiz come off injured. Ali Daya comes comes onto the pitch. Well, I mean, we, we watched him obviously in that. Then we thought, well, he's quick and what have you. But dear God, I mean, he come on, and we're looking at each other. I mean, he didn't know where he was going. He couldn't trap a <laughs> bag of cement. He was just oh. ridiculously poor. And I think, I think, you know, I think half an hour went by. I, I'm not sure how long. And then he subbed him again, didn't he? I think.
0: Yeah. Fifty-three minutes he lasted.
2: Yeah, yeah, he brought him off. So, which was the right decision? Because he was having an absolute beast, and <laughs> you know he should never have been on the pitch. But I think he just gambled. Uh, so he just gambled on it, hoping that he would, he, he would click. But unfortunately, it went against him. This
1: this is back in the days of about three subs, isn't it as well?
2: Yeah, and and you know what? It's lived with him for a long time as well because he gets mm. he always uh, whenever you see him, he always gets mentioned and what have you. And he always tries to be cool about it and say, "Well, you look good and what have you." But t- to be honest, he was that he was when you talk like Alagaya, he, he was dying. But
0: what was his demeanour ab- ab- about the training ground? Because he must have realised he was out of his depth. Was he nervous in training? Do you remember any conversations or interactions you had with him?
2: Just seen him once. That's all I did. i seen him once. He'd come on and he joined in the game. And to be fair in the game, he looked sharp. He looked sharp. He got, as I said before, he was quick. He was nippy. And he got in behind a few times and you think, wow, well, he's got some pace, you know. So we packed in and then the day comes in, he's on the bench and obviously Tiz gets injured and he puts him on. And within five or ten minutes, you're thinking, oh my word what is going on here, you know, and you're actually looking at the bench thinking, you need to sub him, you need to sub the sub, get him off, and in the end he did, you know, and uh, I think he realised this could live with me for a very long time, and it has.
1: So I'm just trying to picture the scene, you finish the game, you're back in the changing room, and you're all sitting around, what, like, is he sitting there with his head down, are people going up to, like, what's going on in the changing room after the game?
2: I can't really remember. I can remember the lads laughing a little bit in the, in the shower like We were having a shower and said, "What about you know, basically, what about him?" You know, and we had a little giggle, and then Tiz had a little giggle as well. But it was just it was a it was a bit of a disbelief, you know, and and and, and sort of I say poor management, but because on the as I said on the Friday he looked okay, he looked all right. As I said, quick. Really quick, Nippy got beyond a couple of players, and I think in pace in the game, even back then, it was, you know, it, it was a real asset. And I thought, I think uh, Soonas just thought, well, he's got a bit of pace; he'll cause him a few problems. He caused he caused ourselves a few problems because we were basically playing with ten men, you know. So, yeah, it was the right decision to bring him off. And uh, yeah, there was a, there was a few little murmurs in the chain room afterwards.
1: So, at the end of that season, you stay up just about, Borough go down and then a few months later they come They come calling for you, can you talk us through what happened there?
2: I was just, you know I, I didn't expect it, I'd just signed that contract under soonest four year deal Soonest had left, Dave Jones had come in uh, I had got twin daughters, they were only babies and I can remember feeding one of the daughters and the phone went, picked up the phone and it was Dave Jones he said no Dave, he said uh, we've had a call from Middlesbrough you know, we've agreed a fee with them. It's up to you if you go, if you want to go. If you want to go, you know, i allow it. If you don't want to go, you stay here and you stay in the team. I went, right, right. And I knew Brian Robson. I knew Middlesbrough obviously were going to be a force in the Championship as it is now. First Division as it was then. I've been at Southampton for 12 years. And I, and I, I knew some of the players. I knew uh, Andy Townsend was an old teammate of mine. And I just thought, you know what? Is it the time for a little change? And I always thought I'd be like tis, I'd always thought I'd be at Southampton for a long, long time. And I was for 12 years. But that change was the right, right time for me. I drove up. Uh, I was actually sponsored by Derek Wariconda. And they used to give me a car every three months. And I used to drive it and that and I got on really well then, a great relationship with them. And then I obviously I never had a car, so I went to see the manager and said, listen, I've Middlesbrough coming for me. I've been up. I'm going to sign. I need a car. <laughs> he went and he, he just, he bought his, he got this car. He had this like uh, car he was driving. He said, Well, listen, you can take, you can have that if you want. But obviously, obviously, yeah, I've got to pay for it. And I said, That was lovely. It was a Honda Prelude. And I, I said, Yeah. So I drove up with a Honda Prelude and I was in the room with Brian Robson 10 minutes and done the deal. And then we first, Four games for Borough were, I played right back, I played sweeper against Wolves, I played right back against Pompey, uh, midfield, and then up front, they were my first four games, so you mentioned utility player, mm-hmm. the middle, <laughs> they had a, a a big injury list, but uh, that first season was an incredible first season for us, it really was, and... Uh, yeah, it was it was it was the right move for me at the right time.
1: There's a lot of characters around the club at that time, and obviously it's Brian Robson's first job in management. He, t- he took a lot of risks with. I mean, I don't know if he was necessarily the person picking the players, but there's a lot of big characters in that squad or in the squads that he's managed for a manager with no experience. How has he managed to get the guys to jail? or or did he?
2: Yeah, I just think we, as a group of players, I've I, through my career, I've always been a leader. I've always been a talker, um, and. I think that season 97, 98 season, I think we had at one time we had 14, 15 leaders in the chain room. You know, I mean, proper players who demanded from each other. I mean, it was ridiculously good. You're on the training, you're on the you're on the ground and you're you're playing games and you're in your ear. People are in your ear, reminding you not one, not two, three or four players, you know. It was so vocal. Everyone demanded of each other. And it was, honestly, it was such a... I loved it. I loved it because I just felt, oh man, you know, the back four, whether I was playing the back four, whether I was playing in midfield, up front, out wide, it was just full of leaders. And it was a... You don't see many leaders now, you know, in games. You don't see them characters. You look at the Man United teams of of, of the old, like the Keens and the Pallisters and the Bruces. You don't see many top teams with them type of leaders in the team you know the, the, it's normally quality and the quality shines too but I think in the championship itself I think the leaders are, are massively needed you know to galvanise the team to organise to pull them around the know-how you know sometimes you've got to turn teams and you know you win them one they'll see the game out them leaders make you see the game out and I think especially I think certainly in the championship the all you miss
0: Into the uh, early two thousands, then, Mado, and you've gone on a few loans. Barnsley and Bristol City. Was that it? looking for first team football?
2: Yeah. Uh, listen, football it evolves; bigger and better players come along, and I knew that. And uh, went to Barnsley. It was tough at Barnsley. I got injured, and Dave Bassett was a manager, and he was a strange character. Real str- and I was traveling. I was traveling back and forwards, and it was. And even though it was only an hour. An hour and a half, an hour and a half there, an hour and a half back. It was tough, so it went okay. But then I, I enjoyed Bristol City. Bristol City was a good, it was a good move. I enjoyed playing down there. The place itself, Bristol, was beautiful. Really good place to live. And um, I was just unfortunate. I had a a double hernia while I was down there, and I was playing with it. And ah, God, it got to a stage where I thought. There's no way I can carry on here. So I came back to Middlesbrough. I had an operation and then I decided, I, I knew I was leaving, Steve McClellan come in. And I had a chance to go to Scotland. I had a chance to go to Aberdeen. And I just went, you know what? I'm in my 30s now. I don't want to be going all the way to Scotland. And I I got an offer from Darlington to come. And so I went to my hometown club, Darlington, and uh, I had 12 years at Darlington, you know, so...
0: Full circle, your career's gone there. then. Yeah, yeah,
2: it was uh, back home, my last sort of uh, place where I finished my career. Love mm. Feedhams, you know, I sometimes go past there now and it's there's houses on it and, you know, I, I was there 12 years and Feedhams, I can remember as a young kid going to Feedhams, you know, getting into Feedhams, watching my, you know, idols and I was down at Crew last week and because I'm a loan manager in Middlesbrough now and I look after our loan players and, We've got Steve Walker and Nathan Wood down there and uh, Freddie Barber, the ex-goalkeeper down at uh, Darlington, is down there as goalkeeping coach. Now, Freddie was one of my idols, even though he's a goalkeeper. He's one of the best keepers in the division. And I I have lots of chats with Freddie regarding his time at, at Darlington and, you know, what a keeper he was, honestly. What a fantastic keeper. Yeah, strange times. Good times, or always, always be grateful of my times at Darlow. It was a good club, and I hope they get back to where they should be.
0: Mm. Let's talk a bit about what you're up to now, because it does sound like you've got you've got some interesting things going on. Loan loan manager at Middlesbrough is really good, and also you're doing commentary with BBC Tees.
2: Yeah, yeah, ah, oh, I I love it. I mean, the commentary itself is say the next best thing. Not really, but you get to see the games, especially in lockdown now. You know, it's it's tough. You 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 you're commentating on uh, empty stadiums, but um, when I first started, obviously with Ali Brownley, mm. the best commentator the world has ever seen, in my opinion. I mean, Ali was just an unbelievable person. But some of the lines he'd come out with, and he was so passionate. And I, I love working with him. He was he was different class, absolutely different class, and it was such a sad day. And sad times for everyone, you know, when he left us. But uh, the guys I work with now are, are top, top draw. Really good. Enjoy my time there. And my time, my job, I've got at the club as well. I obviously, working for the radio along the first time and working with the club, it can be difficult. You know, because you're working in the club, you see the players. and But they know I've got to be truthful. And I like to think I am truthful. I like to say, like to think I see it how it is. Some fans would like to... Me to go a little bit more, but I think sometimes when you're played well, and you say they haven't played well, that for me is enough. You don't have to chastise players or batter players like some people will. I've been a player, I know it's like. So I just think if someone's had a bad game, they've had enough. They've had enough there, and um, you know I would never ever, you know, go through any player. I, I don't think it's right. I just think at times, yes. You have bad days, and at times fans get frustrated with it, and it's and it shows in the phoning as well because the phoning can be it can be tough at times, especially last season at the end of last season when Woody was in charge, it was absolutely awful. You know when we get beat, you're like, oh, hands in your head, thinking this is going to be tough. But you know you, as I said, you've got to be truthful because if you're not truthful, they find you out, mm-hmm. and you've got to see how it is, and if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, but, in, you... but I, I wouldn't individually slate anyone, uh, any of the players because I've been there I don't think it's right to.
1: I, I agree, yeah, and at the risk of turning this into a Borough phone-in, I could, <laughs> I could ask those <laughs> questions. I'll ask, I, I want to ask you a couple of Borough-related questions which may or may not make the edit. One, when Woodgate comes out with the tables lying, are you, are you rubbing your hands together there, thinking this is going to make ratings on our show or what, what are you thinking as a player when, when he comes out with something
2: like that? The intention, I think we all knew what he was saying but I just don't think you see it. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you're asking for trouble. You're asking for I think at the beginning of the season when he said that this is a type of football that I want to play, that we are going to play, pressing. I just think you find a way of getting results mm. without letting the fans know. I, I understand that you want a brand of football, but you have to have the type, right players and the football club to play that brand of football. Neil Warnock, you go to a football club you assess your players and you think, right, this is the best way I feel that we're going to get results. And that's all he's done.
0: So, Neil, what we do with every guest is we ask them to name their shiny player. So when you're collecting football stickers, the shiny stickers are the most coveted ones. Who is your shiny player? This is the best player you ever played with or against.
2: Mm. Uh, I will say, th- obviously, let's his was the player with the one against would be Dennis Burkamp. Burkamp yeah. was a ridiculously good player.
0: And I played some I
2: played yeah. I played against some good players mind. I played against you know the Honries, the you know the obviously the Burkhams the Cantonars, the Beckham's, Roy Keane, Schools, all up there, but Burkamp for me was top draw.
0: Good choice. Good choice. Shirt swapping became a bit of a craze in the eighties and nineties. Do you keep any of your old shirts? And have you got any that you might have swapped players with?
2: Yeah, I my mean, girls have got my shirts. Uh, you know, they've, they've got majority of my shirts. Um, I got canoes from uh, Arsenal once, but that was only purely because one of my friends was uh, having a pub in Mallorca somewhere and he wanted to hang some shirts up. So I got him a few shirts. I got Gazza's at Everton wow. and, I, and I gave that to my uncle, Who's a massive Evans Everton supporter, you know? Because guys are going down there, and I said to him, "Listen, when you play us, I want your shirt." He said, "Not a problem." So I got his shirt, and uh, yeah, I give that to my uh, uncle, and he actually gave it to his nephew, who was a massive Evan supporter. So,
0: were you a Middlesbrough fan as a kid?
2: No, I, I, you know what? I, I was a big Darlow fan. Right. I used to go. I used to go to Darlow games everywhere, everywhere. But I think, I think what. I always love northeast football, but I think the clubs that I've played for, obviously Southampton and and, and Middlesbrough, the two clubs, and Darlington, obviously Darlington fan anyway, but the two clubs that I've played for, I think you, you you grow to love them, you know, especially Southampton first and foremost because that was where I started, and I always watch out for their results, I always watch out for their games, and I have a massive massive affection for. uh Southampton, and Middlesbrough as well, because Middlesbrough, even being up here, the association I have with the club since I've left, you know, doing the corporate rooms, doing the radio, being involved with the club now, I mean, it's a massive part of my life, a massive, massive part. 97, I signed for them, and I'm still going strong now with them. So, you know, there's been a couple of years where I haven't been with them, but eventually, you know, back there, and it's just... It's a it's a great environment, a wonderful club, a great club, as well as Southampton. The two clubs, obviously, you talk about, you, you do fall in love with. Them. You can ask any player mm-hmm. that. You know, when you've got an affection for a club, you fall in love with the clubs, and uh, certainly uh, Southampton and Middlesbrough, they're the two clubs that I certainly fell in love with.
1: Okay, that's that's great. I, th- I think we've covered. Pretty much everything we wanted to cover. Let me just chuck some names at you here, just in case any of them spark interesting stories. The first one we're gonna we we sort of we skip past them throughout as as the conversation's gone on, but I'm gonna go all the way back to the start of the conversation when we talk about foreign players at Southampton. What can you tell us about Ken Moncow? Because he feels absolutely 90s Southampton. He's he's the pitch he's the
2: player I picture when I think of Southampton in the 90s. Good lad, Ken. Really good lad. Pristine, kept his body. Yeah, he didn't be in the shower, and then the Vaseline had come out, and he Vaseline all, oh, yeah. yeah, he vas- Vaseline all of his body, and <laughs> but uh, but a lovely guy, a lovely guy, you know, a really lovely guy was down there a long time. I I haven't seen Ken for a long, long time, a long time. I think last time I heard he had a a pastry shop in Den Haag or something. I don't know, you know, someone had said something like that, but uh, yeah. I, I really, really got on well with uh, Kenny. was a good, lad.
1: What can you tell us about Hamilton Rickard?
2: Well, Ham was top draw. Great lad. Embraced the middles of a culture. <laughs> <laughs> going read between the lines. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? When he first came in, he found it tough. I can remember him missing a full of chances at Sheffield United away, and at halftime he was actually crying in the chain room. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. the lads out there pick him up, and you know, and say, "Come on!" And I think that moment, wow, well, we, we we all loved Hamill. He was a top guy, and as I said before, embraced everything about us. You know, the culture, the, the going out after games. He loved the night life scenery, and uh, but he was a tough player to play against. I tell you now. He was a real tough, he was a handful, a real handful as a centre forward and uh, a lovely guy, a really nice guy. So I'm not sure what he's doing now, but, uh
0: If you see him, we're searching for shinies. Put us <laughs> in
1: touch. These are the players, though, that I absolutely love because they, I do, heaven knows where, where clubs find them from because they're not well-known players. They sign, they have a two or three seasons, become a bit of a club legend, then disappear again. And that's what this year is all about, really.
2: Yeah, he, he was like that. He... he he came had a, you know, a few good seasons with us and then uh, he disappeared but while he was here and the lads will tell you that uh, from that period he was no bother at all he just mixed in he learnt the language you know he learnt the English language I wouldn't say he was brilliant at it but he understood he understood a few words and that and he had a great little laugh on him and as I said before he just embraced everything about the football club and you know, socialise with the boys. He was always willing to go out on a the night after games because that's what it was all about. And, uh, yeah, he was he was lively, ammo. Mm. It was a lively one.
0: Someone we noticed that you might have encountered at Southampton is Graham Potter, who was in the squad, now Brighton manager.
2: Yeah, Potty was great. Like, I've seen Potty a few times. He, he came up to the riverside uh, when Brighton came up a few seasons ago and uh, I knocked on the door and this guy over there I said he's he's a manager there he said the security who is it and I said just tell him it's uh, Madder. matter and he got because down in Southampton I was called matter and and up north I'm it's an old model <laughs> so uh I just said just say it's matter so he popped his head out he went right oh, there no, give us a big cuddle like you know we had a very good chat and this is like literally an hour and a half before the game so nice top I'm so pleased with him. He's mm. done ever so well. Mm. You know, he, he, his philosophy and the players that he's got and the way that he likes the game played and the way he speaks as well. You know, he's done ever so well. He's come from absolutely nowhere to be a Premier League manager and I'm, I'm chuffed to bits him. Great lad as well. Lovely lad, lovely person. Dead mm. please him. Yeah, Dead I like him too. I like yeah, him. Comes yeah, comes across
1: really well. Very
2: calm. Yeah, he is. He is that. Uh, um,
1: right, last one from me. Um, I feel we may have sort of brushed past it a bit but we haven't talked a whole lot about Robbo what was he like as a a manager
2: well believe it or not Robbo was my idol so getting to speak to him you know on the phone when I was going to go to Middlesbrough was like a bit daunting because he was just everything I wanted to be you know he was just superb Um, and then when you get when you get to know him and what he's all about he's Top draw. Uh, I see Robo every now and then. Still works on new uh, Seen him down at Old Trafford a few times. Seen him back up here as well at the Riverside. You know, so and his coaching staff, obviously Gordon McQueen, um, was absolutely super Viv Anderson as well. But uh, yeah, Robo is he's my idol. And I think when you have an idol, that'll always live always live with you. But I was lucky enough to have. Him as my manager and one of my all-time favourite players in Paul Gascoigne as one of my teammates, and I was like living the dream, you know. So it was, uh, yeah, yeah, not not a bad word to say about Robo. He was just the way he galvanised Middlesbrough football club in that era, and the the way the path that he took them on. I don't think any any Middlesbrough fan would would say anything about Robo because they were absolutely fantastic times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are there any um, belting stories that you've got left in the locker that you think would make, be good to, good to get off your chest? About any of the players or any of the times? We don't, we don't want to leave any
2: gold. You know, I can remember once when, and this is like, it's not as sorry as such, but we played Oxford last game of the season got from And the next day, Rob Ward said, well, actually, Rob Ward said to us weak week before, listen, we get from we're going away and we we as players wanted to just go somewhere hot, so we just wanted to go to New York or Ibiza or somewhere like that, and just go on holiday in the sun and that but Andy Townsend and uh Andy Townsend and someone else has said, "Let's go to New York, so I've never been to New York, you know so we're going to New York. And I, for me, it was just about relaxation. You know, you've, you've just got promotion, you want to relax. So I can remember the next day we were actually flying to New York. So we got a plane. I mean, this is the night after we'd beat Oxford. So you imagine the celebrations that are going on. So I've got my suitcase. I can remember I was with Nigel Pearson and a few others. And we've had a few drinks. And then we're getting on this plane and We fly to Amsterdam and we stop in Amsterdam and by the time we get to Amsterdam, we've had a few more drinks (laughs) and then we got on the plane to New York and better not, you've got like a good nine hour flight, you know, there was a few more drinks on the plane as well. So it was, I mean, it was a, a good 24 hours non-stop on the plane as well. So we land and then the idea was right, we're bags down, we're in this lovely hotel, bags down. We had these limos, out, limos outside waiting to pick us up. we are taking us to a nightclub and that. And we, I'm in the back of this car and I'm thinking, I, you know, when you've had too much and you think, oh my God, I can't do this. And I was knackered. I was so tired. Pulls up at this place and the lads get out. And I think there was, they got out and then, I got out and I got back in the limo and about five others got back in the limo and said, that's it. You know, when you hit the, 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 it air, the air hits you. It like it knocked us out and said, I need to get, we got, got the limo back to the hotel and in the bed, bang, lights out. Then we woke up the next day and we had a little look around New York and that was it. And to be fair, New York, and we never went shopping, we just found this, we found this Irish bar. <laughs> we just, yeah. We basically <laughs> celebrated for about a week in this Irish bar. You know, none of us did any shopping. We never went into Macy's <laughs> or anything. It, it was just this Irish bar. Then. So, but it was it was good. It was enjoyable and it was a uh, team bonding bond.
0: oh,
1: You're a legend, and uh, absolutely love listening to you on the radio, mate. It's uh, been a real privilege to talk to you. So, thanks very much. Uh, for cheers, us. Guys. cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. All the best, boys. Cheers. Take, take care. Take care. You, bye, bye. 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 So, folks, that was Neil Maddo madison What a legend. A uh, real thrill to have him on the podcast. And I feel like we've covered, Ketch, the full spectrum of Premier
0: League football, going from Alan Shearer to Ali Dyer. It had a bit of everything that episode, I think. And the Shearer tripping up Brian Clough in the tunnel at the <laughs> Dell was the icing on the cake. I was crying tears when I when I heard that. I'm a, I'm a huge Newcastle fan. I'm a huge United States football fan. Never heard that story, ever. And no. Maddo said it's rarely told, so... A bit of an exclusive, I think, for us on Searching for Shinies.
1: I've always known Shearer's Dirty, but
0: that is just too I far. love him for it. I and I, and I just love the cluffies mm. just kind of winked and went, good on you, son. Fair, fair play. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: now, it, it didn't, of course, make the edit, but you did try your best to get Shearer's number well, out. Well, yeah, own. we're
0: never going to get, you know, someone as close to Alan Shearer on this show again, are we? Maybe, I don't know. So I just basically said, you know, have you got Alan Shearer's number? And he said, yeah, I have, thanks, and moved on. <laughs> so <laughs> we, move, we move ourselves. And, uh, Alan, if you're listening, we're here. We're here. The search yes, continues. Well, Do you know a, a player from the 97 sticker book? We want to interview them. If you can connect us, you know where we are, Searchingforshinies.com. Contact us there or follow us on social media. We are at the shiny Pod on Instagram Facebook and Twitter if you've got any good 90s football stories we'd love to hear them have you ever met a 90s footballer what was the interaction like mm. <laughs> what were they wearing where was it what did you talk about <laughs> we'd love to hear, hear from it do subscribe to the pod we're, we're everywhere Apple, Spotify ACAST, Stitcher Google Podcasts if you can give us a shiny review on iTunes that would be absolutely fantastic and really help us
1: but for now we look forward to next week and I'll remind you all keep it shiny
0: still not staying in.